February 2nd. Everybody in here do know who Poxitoni or Phil is? No, you don't. Sure. February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Is Phil going to come out, stick his head out? If we get a shadow, six more weeks, right, of winter. If it's cloudy and overcast, spring comes early. Hey, it's been around since 1877. How come you do not know about this, okay? It just happened this week. Can you imagine living your life getting up every day, sticking your head out of the earth, almost like putting your finger to the wind and deciding that day how you're going to live your life. That that alone determines what your day is going to be like. Or you've watched the movie. 1993, classic, Bill Murray, Groundhog Day. My guess is that some of us feel a little bit of that way, right? I think it's a pretty educated guess. And for some of you, you may even be saying, this is not a dream. It's not even a nightmare. This is my life. I know I've been through times in my life where you do get into a rut and all of a sudden the rut even gets deeper. My, my old uh, Baptist pastor, I say old, he wasn't old then. He was my age, I guess, then, but, so he sure wasn't old then. But he used to say a, a, a rut is a grave with both ends kicked out of it. But you get in this rut and every day seems to be just like the day before. But we also get into times in our life where the times are devastating, where it's almost like it's gut-wrenching to your soul. It's like if you, could, if you knew what your soul actually looked like, if you had a visual on it, it'd almost feel like it's just being tied into knots. Almost to the point where you can't even breathe. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? And you're in that season... And that season moves into another season. And before you know it, that season's not only a season, it almost feels like that's your life. And you come to the point where you go, I'm not sure this is ever going to end. And the unfortunate part of that for so many of us is it not only steals from that present day, it steals from yesterday and it's sure stealing from tomorrow. You got the same job or the same debt or it's getting worse, the rut's getting worse. The same story, the same drama, the same dot, 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 dot. There may be for some of you, and I know I've personally experienced this, 
You're in the night and there's these grips on your, on your life and you're walking the floor in the middle of the night and maybe you're going from this bed to that recliner to that bed. Yes, I'm talking personal confession, trying to figure out how to get some sleep, how to try to get my mind off it, how to get away from it. But you don't. And you're convinced that tomorrow is going to be the same thing. And tomorrow night's going to be the exact same way. But here's the reality. And please hear me clearly today. Because I've gone through this myself. Doesn't make me an expert, but at least allows me to talk with some level of knowledge. As we've talked about before here, Dallas Willard says, knowledge is not intellectual. Knowledge in Scripture is only experiential. So when I share with you knowledge today, it's not intellectual knowledge, which is helpful. But I want to share with you just this part, experiential. I have to come, and I've got to be in a community that helps me get here. That reminds me. This is not your life. It's just your life right now. The two words right now can change everything for you. Your present is not your permanent. What I went through last fall, as I've shared a little bit along the way, I had to work through those nights of dark, dark nights trying to work through Lord, what is it? I don't know why I'm here. Maybe it's something I've missed, something I've done specifically, or it's circumstances, and I don't know all of it. But I do know what it's like to go into that night when that night gripping you. I know what it's like to get up first thing in the morning, whatever time that may be, and my whole day is planned to how I'm going to get some sleep tonight. That's my only thing. How am I going to get back and start gaining on this sleep thing? Every day seems to be the same. Now, I will tell you this, that I'm now on the other side of that. I do lay down at night, and maybe I don't do it every night. But because of my experience, I say, Lord, there are men and women and teenagers and maybe children, and there are singles, and there are marrieds, and there are, that are about to start their long night. Help them, Lord. Help them. Help them know that their present is not their permanent. Help them know. Especially know you, because you are the game changer. You are the hope in the dead of night. You're not, they're not going crazy. <laughs> same job, same debt, same story, same drama, same everything. I want to tell you today that there's a choice here. 
and to remind you your life does not have to be Groundhog Day. As a person created in the image of God, we're not animals who would like to have the same thing the next day and the next day. No, we as people created in the image of God, we are people that can be a part of the change. I don't know about you, but just the hope for change, obviously I've got to lean into it, Begin to, begins to give me fuel for that change to happen. Because tomorrow can be different than anything I ever imagined. December 13th, 1986, Saturday, started out normal. I was going to go to Idabel, Oklahoma, from Texarkana. Friends of ours are going to go with us, and we're going to go buy my first grown man recliner. Every grown man should have a recliner. I'm not sure that's, if you walk away with nothing else today, walk away with that. Our friends, Terry and Jean, we were riding in a one cab. I know it's bouncing around, but that's nothing. You got to fix it right, man. I, I, beg, I beg for y'all to fix it. It's going to break again. So I'm leave it alone. I'm just telling you. Let it go. I don't know. I guess I'm going to have to break out the duct tape afterwards because it keeps coming off every week. Okay. I was fine otherwise, so maybe you weren't. But as we were going around, as we were going to drive an hour's drive over to Idabel, Oklahoma, we're riding in a one-cab truck, one bench seat, four of us riding in it. Yes, that was 1986. We just did those kind of things. No seat belts. That's just what you kind of did. And as we went over and I had been on this diet thing that I I think I've told you before uh, about a little bit, maybe not, but I had been on this diet thing and I was losing a lot of weight, starving myself to death actually, uh, because I think I told you when Jan had Sydney, our first child, uh, she gains like 21 pounds. I gained 27. I can't explain all that, but but that's just what happened. <laughs> and so I was trying to, I'd never been in that situation before, so I was losing weight, things of that nature. But we're, we drive to Idabel, and we get there, we get the recliner, get in the back of the truck, we stop to eat, and they're talking about this friend of theirs who had had a heart attack, and they explained how he had the heart attack, how they started filling it up his arm and kind of came over his chest. And, and as I'm sitting there, and I'm not eating, they're all three eating, but I'm in my starving diet issue that I'm going through, All of a sudden, my chest started hurting. And all of a sudden, my arms started feeling all the numbness and all the things that went with it. And and so, man, I'm going, okay, I'm not telling them. So I started driving back, the four of us again, in that bench seat, driving across 
uh, that, that, that winter, you know, no, no leaves on the trees. So you're driving through this beautiful part of the country, but all the leaves are off the trees and everything's dead. The, the pastures are dead, but it's still a beautiful part of the country. Driving through there and we're talking and the more they talk, the more I begin to have a heart attack. And so we're going along, and all of a sudden we get to DeKalb, Texas. And DeKalb, Texas, many of you may know where Dan Blocker's from. Dan Blocker, Hoss on Bonanza, those who know the show Bonanza from years ago. His hometown, and we're driving through there, and all of a sudden I'm having a heart attack. And we pull over to this police station, and we tell them, and this is before you call 911, and it was before really they sent an ambulance out there, and we stopped the police station and said, I think my husband's having a heart attack. And they said, you just need to drive fast to Texarkana. And that was it. That was the only instruction we got. So we're still 35, 40 minutes away at least. So we're going along. I let Gene start driving. I'm over there on the, on the, on the, on the outside door on the passenger side. Jan's there, Terry, Gene. He's driving. He's driving fast. And we get to to Highway 82 where it pulls up to I-30 at exit 199 in New Boston, Texas. And we're about to go up that. And I'm telling Jan, Jan, I'm dying. She goes, no, you're, you're fine. I said, I said, no, I'm dying. And I'm dying without Christ. And I'm dying without Christ. I'm going to go to hell. And she starts trying to comfort me. She goes, no, you're a good man. Now, you wouldn't go to hell. But she was lying to me. Of all, in the most crisis moment of my life, she's telling me the wrong thing. <laughs> Jen's too nice. (laughs) I said, Jen, I'm dying and going to hell. And at that moment, going up the ramp to I-30 East off of Highway 82, exit 199, New Boston, Texas, I gave my life to Christ. I went out on into Texarkana, went to the hospital emergency room. They did the EKG and all that kind of stuff. They say nothing wrong with you. Which was true. But there was, wasn't there? But there was no longer. I had an awesome job working for IMAX. Had a beautiful wife. A newborn baby. My life was better at that point, before that day started, than he had been in a decade. But I still needed Jesus. I was happier. But as I said to you last week, now there were some things that led up to that and all kinds of, you know, from us starting to attend church and going to church and the Holy Spirit, we call it provenient grace, that grace that goes before salvation where the Holy Spirit was working on me. There was no question about that. No question about that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That next day I walked that aisle the Baptist Church on Sunday morning. I guess the only reason I knew that, I'd been around church enough growing up as a kid that if you were going to make a, 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 a profession of faith, you're supposed to do it public. I don't know. So, man, as soon as they, again, I've told you before, I don't know what the sermon was that day. I do remember the invitation song. And as soon as that first note was hit, I was out of there. And as I've said before, the, the, the hardest part was the first step out into the aisle. The rest of them were easy. It was just the first step. Like I said, they came down, and it was, it, to that point, as, as many of you know the story, I, I didn't even know what the first book of the Bible was when I gave my life to Christ. Literally did not know. Just a country bumpkin had done some, had enough sense to know what was going on. 
Ten months later, I preached my first sermon. Still didn't know what I was doing, that's for sure. I knew I was taking this little Bible to work with me at Alumax, sticking it in my back pocket. And when they had allowed me, and, they, and I, I didn't do it, they, they allowed me to do it, to read my Bible all day long, 12-hour shifts, sometimes 16-hour shifts. When I wasn't working, I could sit and read. I've got the plan of salvation right here in front, little sayings. God called me to preach. I shared that with you a few weeks ago. But that first sermon I ever preached, was like I said, was like, I thought it was going to be 30 or 40 minutes. It was like 10 or 12. And people loved it because it was short. <laughs> Romans 10, 14, and 15 was my first sermon note. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how they can hear without someone preaching to them. How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How can anyone know unless they're told? What happened to me on December 13, 1986, again, like I said, I thought the work was done and it was just beginning. And we talk about it often here. We often make choices about significant things in our life without knowing all the details. There's two couples who just got married in the last year, one about to get married in the next month. You don't have all the details. That's guaranteed. <laughs> but you're making monumental choices. When I began to follow Christ, by no means did I think that I had all the details, and if he had given me the details, I may not have done it. But one thing I remember, and Dr. Dan and I were talking about a little bit this week, and just, I'm just reminded that the most important thing I can do from this platform or as your friend or as a brother in Christ is to share with you that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That the beginning point is not Hey, I want to go preach. The beginning point is believing and professing with your mouth and believing in your heart. And I think one of the most unbelievable things in my life is to realize that after all these years, even early on, I realized early on that God had a plan for my life. He had introduced me to a world that I didn't know was going on. I've said this often here too. It didn't become truth the day I believed in. It was truth already. And then I believed. This whole thing had already been going on this whole time. And I now was just becoming aware of it. This whole divine drama had been going on, as Willard says, had been going on all along, and now I'm introduced to it, and I'm finding out that God has a divine purpose for Kurt Gentry. He has a calling on my life. 
that my yesterday doesn't have to be like today. My today and, and my tomorrow can be totally different. As I said last week, one of the huge convictions I have in my life is that God is a God of transformation. He can take broken things and make something beautiful out of it. He can take broken lives and make something more beautiful than it ever was before because now it's being restored back to its original intent. You may have thought before, well, I wish that hadn't happened to me because I wasn't broken before. You were broken before if you did not have Christ in your life. Christ begins to restore us. As Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, talks about back to true righteousness and true holiness, back to the image of God, back to that. It's not just getting us in and getting us to heaven or like I, when I came to Christ, I I was afraid I was going to hell. That's the truth. Fear motivated me. But it lasted about that long. Then I realized that this God loves me. This is not being hung over my head. Even though it's true. As I said a few weeks ago about Ezekiel. You do whatever it takes to tell people the bridge is out up here. Man, I get out in the middle of the road. As Ezekiel, in many ways, you read him, take your clothes off and do what You do whatever it took to keep people from driving off the bridge because the bridge is out. So you do what you got to do. What I can't believe is I, I, I can almost 100% assure you that for the first five to ten years I preached, I never preached without giving people a chance to accept Christ as their Savior, ever. But then I became a civilized pastor. You don't want to put people in that position. Now, I will say, unfortunately, so often our churches are filled with people who are already saved. And you're just retelling the soul. You know, the way churches grow, and I, and I understand this, I believe the greatest way churches grow is the people who attend there are excited and are inviting. And they themselves are on a mission every week, whether to invite or to share their faith. I remember the first time I shared with my brother Mike, out on his deck, his pool deck, there in Wake Village, Texas, and he's six years older than me. He's the one who taught me how to drink. He's the one who taught me how to drive fast. He's the one who taught me a lot of things that, that, that I like, still like the driving fast part of it. But I remember shaking. I was so nervous after I knew I've got to tell him. I've got to tell him because I knew he, he was an alcoholic and there's some things going on. Well, first of all, let me tell you, he's come to know Christ since then. But one of the things is I told him shaking there that night and, he, and I just could, I had to spit it out and it was fumbling and rambling and he said little brother that's good for you it's just not for me and just walking away from that devastated that I couldn't make it happen 
realizing later on, I don't want to ever talk anybody into it. I don't want to ever make it. I don't want anybody to ever get saved because I use the clever enough words or talk fast enough. But unless the Spirit draws them. But what I'm blown away by after 35 years, 36 years almost of being a Christian, 30 years of being a pastor, is that God can use me to speak into someone's life and he stir their soul and they are different. And not only different for them, they may have changed the direction of their whole family for generations. That blows me away. Young man, years ago, we were in Texarkana as a youth pastor, came to our church, a friend invited him. Our youth group had exploded, and, and we were, we had, we had kids coming, you know, we, we, we would just, it was, we'd have kids sitting on the floor in this little room. We'd have 100 kids sitting in this little, I mean, it, it was tiny. It was, it was phenomenal to watch what was going on, but this one kid came, and he was rough, really didn't have any good family life, and and for whatever reason, Jan and I had this tendency to kind of adopt kids, I guess. Is the basic. I, don't, I don't mean that literally, but, but just kids that you thought, okay, we're going to try to bring them in a little closer uh, just because we feel like it. Just ask the Lord to lead us in that. And we did. We brought Shannon in a little closer, and he was a mess, absolute mess. But we would invite him on things with just uh, the four kids, and Colton was just born. And, and uh, he, he, was, he was one of those kids, though, that for some reason, he thought it was really funny to walk up to me and just burp in my face. Just thought that was just hilarious. And I would tell him, I said, Shannon, you, you, you need to really stop doing that. And then there would be times that he wouldn't come to church for two or three weeks or two, two, a couple of weeks. And he would come up to me on a Sunday or a Wednesday night and he'd go... How's it going, Dad? Because he would call me Dad a lot. And I said, yeah, I'm not your dad. He said, I'm part of your family. I said, no, my family goes to church. That's what we do. That's, a, that's our value. That's what we do. I said, so the only way you can be in that, because he called Colton little brother. Colton doesn't remember him because he was so small. And there was just this watching him grow and watching him stir and watching him build up. And then Colton was born in 95, so in January 96, one of the things we would do with our youth group, and we put it in a box. I don't know why we did this. We'd, we would write on the piece of paper. We'd have the kids, uh, all these hundred and something kids, write on a piece of paper. What was the best thing that happened to you this last year? And what do you hope is going to happen this coming year? We'd give them time, and they would write on a piece of paper, fold it up, put it in a box. We'd put it away. Next year, we'd get it out. So that way we'd also remember the year before, like two, almost two years, they would remember what happened good in them, but also see what happened that year. So January 96 rolls around, February, in the middle of January, we always had a date that we would open them up. That week, Shannon came by, I hadn't seen him in about a month, I didn't know what was up, and he told me that uh, 
because we didn't have cell phones. You didn't text people. You, didn't, you just didn't have them. I mean, you, you just lose track of them, and I was worried about him. And he said that he had been with his mom and really healed some things with his mom. And, that he was, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I saw him that day when he came to my office, and I thought, man alive, this kid looks more full and whole than I've ever seen him in his life. Just a confidence. You could see the way he walked. And so I was headed home and back over to Wake Village, and he was going to his home and, and uh, where he lived. And we were going down a highway, and, and we came to a traffic light, and, and, and I turned right where I was going to the house. And he just honked real big, and he turned left, and, or, or he went straight, and then he'd go down and turn left going to where his house was. What about 10.30 that night, I get a phone call. I said, Pastor Kurt, I need to tell you something. I said, yeah. I said, well, what's up? Shannon hang himself tonight. So I jumped in the car and I went over to Shannon's house and, you know, the police were still there and they were in the ambulance and and come to find out what happened was he and another boy and I and I told them to quit messing with it even though they'd bring I said you cannot bring that to church anymore. They'd brought a noose and made one and were messing around with it. He was messing around with it in his room. My understanding. And had it over a beam and had exposed beams and the beam broke. Somehow, or the chair broke, excuse me. The chair broke and he died. I was devastated, obviously. Youth group in many ways. So a year later, so he had come to the youth group, written on a piece of paper. So now it's January 97, a year after his death. And one of the kids walks up to me and says, Pastor Kurt, there's only one left in. Well, there's a few more left in here, but here's one I think you're going to want to see. I haven't looked at it because it's folded up. It's Shannon's. And hadn't even thought about it, obviously, at that point. And I read, the best thing that's happened to me this last year is that I have been part of Kurt and Jan's family. And, then, and what's going to happen to me this coming year was blank. And I share that with you to say this. Because I have taken Shannon when he burped in my face, and I would take him, I've literally balled him up and threatened to throw him off one story. <laughs> That's when... Being a youth pastor was cool because you didn't get sued over stuff. Okay. <laughs> Nowadays, I would never do that. Back then, you could. <laughs> but to know that somewhere along the way, God can use you. And one wavered, strange, burping individual that still blows me away that you would come on a Sunday that somehow or another we would say something up here that may somehow or another land in your life in the depths of your soul and you make a change some full 180 some just tweaking it where it changes your marriage it changes the way you may raise your family it changes your family for generations. Still blows me away.
And what disappoints me in myself is, is that somewhere along the way I quit sharing that good news. As I shared with you a few weeks ago, when I gave my life to Christ, I dared you to give me a crack to share my faith. I dared you. Whether it was on a plane, whether it was at the grocery store in the line, wherever it was, I had it all over me. Again, I've shared with you before, my theology was not good, but my passion for Christ and you knowing him was. And you don't have to come, and I, I, you know, I gave my life to Christ. Uh, you know, a lot of times, I, I think it was Rob Bell said it one time. If you only use the Bible, how many ways are there to come to know Christ? Well, I, I would say this, how many places can you come to know Christ? Well, I know you can do it on the high side of an interstate. You don't have to be in here. I get that. And you don't have to come and listen and go, well, if I want to give my life to Christ or I want to pray, I need to do it here But I will say this, I'm concerned that if I had not walked that aisle the next day, I may have kept it more private. If I had not publicly went down front not knowing the details, just committing my life and my families, I'm not sure what that would have meant. It very well may have turned out the same. I don't know. But I do believe there's something about public. As I said last week, when I walked that aisle, I thought the work had been done because I was going to heaven and I wasn't going to hell. What I didn't realize was the work had just begun. But how it begins, and I want to read it for you right out of Scripture. How then, I mean, excuse me, but what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That is an enormous amen. This is not Groundhog Day. There's a choice, there's an opportunity. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love a theology that backs that up. Sure. Sure. Like I said last week, you can give me $40,000 or $100,000 to renovate my house. Just give it to me. That's been paid. But the work of renovating the house is still to be done. (laughs) The price has been paid. But the work is still to be done. And by the way, you're not the architect or the project manager. You may be the general contractor and get to make sure how things get worked out. But the project manager's the Holy Spirit (laughs) dealing 
with the architect. And Wesley's bent on this radical optimism. It's so encouraging to me. Saying by salvation, I'm, I mean not barely deliverance from hell or going to heaven. But a restoration of the soul to its primitive health. In other words, what you were intended to be. A recovery of the divine nature. Nature. The renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness, in holiness, in justice, in mercy, and truth. And folks, with that kind of belief, which I believe is backed up by Scripture 100%, there is no ceiling on the good things that can happen when you believe that. But you have to decide. Decisiveness brings power. And I've had to realize this over this last six months. Some of the the same things I have said over and over here. That potential cannot be realized in the company of indecisiveness. As I said earlier, when you realize the power and authority you live in you has no rival because the God you serve has no rival, you will begin to act different. You will begin to live different. And what's so great about true Christianity is we do not use that power to lord it over to others, manipulate them. We use that power to serve them and advance the kingdom. That God calls us, his ambassadors, to speak the good news. That he would use this plan to do his work. Again, still blows me away. We're going to go to a time, communion this morning. If you didn't have a chance when you came in, I should remind you of that. But we should have, I'm sorry about that. The elements are out at the table. Hopefully you grabbed that when you came in. But before we do, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 10. Man, when you come to this time, you take this serious. Where it says to examine yourself. One of the things I miss that COVID has done to us, and there's a lot of things, I'm sure we'd all agree. But one of the things I loved, the way we used to do communion, is we all came down front as a communal, as a family. You came down front and you walked back and just kind of watched everybody walk by. I miss that. I don't know if we'll ever get back there. I I don't know. But I miss the community part of that. That doesn't mean we can't do that. We're going to do that. 
And we have been doing that. But I miss that. Of all ages. Something intergenerational. But one of the things that keeps us all together in this is the four steps that we've talked about. I wrote my book 35, well, actually almost 36 years ago. Repent, believe, confess, receive. So as we go into this time, I want to give us just a moment here. Then I'm going to pray for us. That if you've never done that, I want to encourage you, if you never hear anything else from me, I know I joked about the recliner. That's not the most important thing today. I'm telling you, the most important thing is you know Jesus Christ as your Savior because, friend, I don't think that work really begins till then. You say, what do I have to do to do that? I'll be honest with you. I think Paul talks about in, in Romans 1 where we suppress the truth. I think you just have to let go. Sometimes just do nothing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy. Quit suppressing it. Quit pushing it down. It's wanting to bubble up through, into you. It's wanting to change you. Let me pray for us as we pray together. Lord, we come today as broken people that really only can be put back together at the starting point of coming, as we word says, to profess with our mouth, to believe in our heart that you are Lord. You've been raised from the dead. Your word tells us we will never be put to shame. And your word tells us no matter where we've been or who we are or what we've done, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We stand on that promise today. And Lord, it continues there. How will they know unless someone tells them? All that's in the same passage of Scripture. Lord, so today, if there is one here, today may be the first time truly they're able to take communion in remembrance of what you have done for them. I remember that first time, Lord. It was overwhelming that I realized that communion wasn't just something we did every Sunday at my mom's church is a remembrance of what you've done for me. So today, Lord, I ask that those who may be here that have never prayed that prayer, it's very simple, just to confess, Jesus, I am a sinner. But I believe you are who you say you are. Even though I may fumble the words, I want you to come into my life and be saved.
But for those today who are already at that point, that they would understand beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let us be people of good news. Lord, because it can't just be good news for us or it's just not good news. It's good news for us and it's also good news for our neighbor. It's good news for our family. It's good news for people who don't think like I think. It's just good news. Help us, Lord, to be those people. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you take your elements, please. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat now to your soul's comfort. the cup this is my blood was shed for you treat now and remembers to your soul's comfort Lord, help us as we leave out of here today that we're not the same people when we walked in here today. We're not the same people when we woke up this morning. That this day is not going to be like all days because we have engaged the creator of the universe. And in your presence, nothing is ever the same. Lord, help us this day. Help us this day. As we commit our lives to you, to be so glad to share it with others. And that somewhere along the way, somebody might say, that person, fill in the blank, is the best thing that's happened to me because they led me to Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with us? We're going to close out of here with Josiah and him leading us. Thank you for being here today. And if you've got a few minutes before you leave today, one of the great things we do here is obviously many of you know is the Arise movement. And we need some of your help immediately afterwards, 10 minutes to help us bring some stuff up to the foyer. We would sure appreciate that. So if you could stick around just for a little bit to do that, we would be very thankful for that. God bless you as we sing. Josiah will lead us how to get out of here. But God bless you. You can go have an uncommon week in Jesus' name. Amen.